You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. And so great to have all of you here this morning as we continue on in our study through the Gospel of Luke. And today now as we come really to the end of, of chapter 1, we are coming really to the first Christmas carol. We've been singing Christmas carols all morning. This is the very first Christmas carol that was ever sung, and it was sung by Mary. And so if you have a Bible, please open to Luke chapter 1, or turn on your phone or tablet or however you get there, and go to Luke chapter 1. We're going to start with verses 39 through 45, but I want us to jump forward here and to actually look and listen to Mary's song. So Sarah Daz, who is one of our church family, is going to read this portion of the passage to you. And as she does, I want you to listen for a couple things. The first is the flow of this beautiful first Christmas carol. Mary will sing about what God has done for her. She will sing about what God has done for those who fear him. She will sing about what God has done for Israel. And I want you to listen for the character of God and the promises of God. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Hmm. Thank you, Sarah. So I realize that some of you may have been gone last week and may not have been here to hear the incredible sermon that Matt preached on the passage that precedes this. So to really fully understand and appreciate the significance of what Mary prayed and sang and celebrated, we need to back up just a little bit so you can truly appreciate what what God is doing and what is going on. So let's back up to the verses that precede this. And this is what happened. Remember that the angel Gabriel had just showed up to Mary, which doesn't happen every day, right? And this is what he said to her, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you were to call him Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? How's that gonna work? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit. He will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. And some of your translations will also say here, nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. 
And then the angel left her. And as Gary Brashears has rightfully encouraged us to do, whenever we read a narrative, whenever we are reading a story about something God did and what happens, it's always good for us to enter the story. And Matt helped us do that so powerfully last week. If you haven't heard that sermon, please go back and listen to it through our website or through our app. Because what he helped us understand is how in the world is Mary trying to process this? I mean, angels don't appear to people on an everyday basis, right? And this angel comes and announces this incredible news, news that God's people have been waiting for for thousands of years. And imagine Mary spin-cycling and trying to process and make sense of all this. And the angel all but tells her to go see Elizabeth. And that's exactly what she does as we continue on here. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And now as we think to what happened next, what you just heard Sarah read to us, Mary breaks out in this amazing song. But there's a reality here that I want to make sure we appreciate before we move on to what Mary actually sang about. Do we realize and appreciate that things began to make sense to Mary? Mary began to truly connect the dots on what was happening in her life and on what God had promised when she went to go be with Elizabeth. The reality is that we discover God in community. And it starts with worshiping him together and gathering together on Sunday mornings. But this is a time of year, as is Easter, when folks who have not been in community begin to come back to community. Because intuitively, we understand the reality of this. But what, what's common knowledge isn't necessary, necessarily common practice. In the neighborhood that my wife and I live in, we've been there 12 years, and through the course of time, by you know, spending time with neighbors, being out in our yards, and someone comes by and you begin to talk, just all the ways you build relationship, we've come to the realization that a number of people in our neighborhood know Jesus, but they don't know and experience community that they're not a a part of a church family. For whatever reason, they are not in community. And there is a common denominator that runs through every single one of their lives. And it's this. They are not growing and deepening in their intimacy with Jesus. They're pretty much, and they would say, in the same place that they were last year, the year before, the year before that because we discover God in community. So, church family, first I wanna speak to you. For those of you who call Grace home, for those of you who know and love Jesus, you have a unique opportunity this time of year to invite people back into community. My wife and I earlier this week went through our neighborhood inviting people to come worship on Christmas Eve in a couple weeks. 
do not let this opportunity go by. We have invitation cards for you on the back resource table and at our information counter. On your way out this morning, would you grab just a couple of those at the very least? And would you put those in someone's hand who knows the Lord and isn't in community? Or even if they don't know the Lord, we absolutely want them to come and to hear about this amazing God. And some of you, I know this is true because I've talked with you between services you're coming back to church for whatever reason. You, you haven't been in community or you've been looking for a community. Man, welcome. We are so glad that you're here and it's so good that you're here because that's how we discover and grow in him. And we see this in Mary's life. It's after she's with Elizabeth, after Elizabeth really prophesies and declares what's going on that it all begins to come together for her and then she breaks out in this incredibly beautiful song. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. There's so much joy, so much happiness here. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. So as we enter the story once again, in fairness, as we read this, as we see this, as we hear this, there should be a part of us that says, How does that work? How can Mary respond this way? Because this is a disconnect, really, with what's going on in her life. Once again, Matt helped us understand and appreciate last week the significance of what has happened to her. Mary lived in an honor-shame culture, which many of us don't have a frame of reference for, but what kept you up at night What you lost sleep over, what you avoided at all costs was to bring shame upon yourself, your family, or your community. She is now a teenage, unwed, pregnant young woman. What are people going to say? How are they going to treat her? How are they going to treat her family? And God is the one who made her pregnant? How well would that go over even in our day and age? Does she have reason to be anxious? Worried? Fearful? If that wasn't enough, in the first century, they didn't have hospitals, and their medical knowledge was very, very basic, and a lot of women died in childbirth. And that's got to be rolling around in her mind somehow. And if that wasn't enough, by the way, as a first-time single mom, you're going to raise the Son of God. No pressure, but get it right. I mean, does she have reason to be concerned and worried and feel? Absolutely, she does. And yet she's worshiping. She's singing with joy and, and happiness. And yes, we get that an angel just appeared to her and just told her that she is going to be a part of fulfilling a promise that God has given for thousands and thousands of years for his people, but there's something here for you and me, very practical. Do you and I define our life from the bottom up or from the top down? Because the difference is very practical and very significant. Let me put that another way. Do you define your life and circumstances, what's going on in your life by what's going on in your life? 
Or to put that another way, and I hope this is more clear, do your life, your circumstances, the status of your relationships define and determine the character and work and promises of God? Because what's the danger there if we define our lives from the bottom up? Doesn't it begin to put into question the promises of God, the character of God, the presence of God, the work of God when our life is not going well? When we have reason to be anxious and fearful and worried? Or do we choose to define our life and our circumstances and our relationships from the top down? Do we look at those through the lens of God's promises, God's character, God's work? Is that what defines and determines our life? The difference is significant. And really, the difference is a choice of trust. We see Mary choosing to worship instead of worrying. She has lots of reason to worry. And we don't have a lot of time to camp out on this, and I would refer you back to our Philippians series, Philippians chapter 4, when Gary Bashir steered into this, because it will, it will look at this in much greater detail. But Satan, our adversary, the evil one, loves to live in the what-ifs. And Mary has lots of reason to be thinking about, well, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if they don't believe me? What if I lose my life in childbirth? What if, but what if she, she chooses to worship? Not easy, but it is simple. And don't confuse the two. Easy and simple are two very different things. Simple in that there is a choice to remember what God has done, to thank him for what he's doing and what he's done, and to choose to trust him with the future. Mary is one of the quintessential examples of what it means to trust God. In the hall of fame of faith, she is right up there at the very top among the men and women of scripture because of what she is modeling for us and what she will begin to live out. In fact, have you appreciated the reality that Mary is willing to risk her reputation, her relationships, what her family will think, her future with Joseph, even her very life in order to trust and follow Jesus. Where is that line for you? What are you willing to risk? What are you willing to put on the line in order to be faithful to what God wants for your life? How far are you willing to go? Because as she rightfully declares in what we looked at, all generations will call her blessed. And that is, that is very true. As, as Protestants, as non-Catholics, something that we are guilty of at times is not valuing the example of faith that we have in Mary. She is special. She should be learned from. On the other hand, our Catholic friends sometimes overemphasize some things about her, like declaring that she's sinless. Well, no, why does she need a savior? Why does she sing about needing a savior in the opening verses of this amazing song? But it's important for us to remember the example of practical faith that we have in her life. Because she goes on to sing about what God will do for his people. She says this, that his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. That is a really, really powerful statement. 
because it answers a couple questions for us. Number one, who are God's people? How do you know if you're in? How do you know if you're one of God's people? Well, do you fear him? Because Jews and non-Jews who fear him are his people. But please understand and appreciate that is not the gospel that is preached by the culture that we live in. Our culture says you are one of God's people as long as you are good people. Because we all know that God grades on a curve. And if you're moral, if you're decent, if you don't kill anybody, as long as you're doing better than Pastor Jay or whoever, then God, God owes you. Man, he's lucky to have you on his team because you're a good person. Now, I'm exaggerating to make a point. Few people would explicitly say that, but do they not live like that? Where in this passage does it say that good people are God's people? Do you realize it says exactly the opposite? Because in scripture, people who say, I'm good, I'm fine without Jesus, I'm, 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 I'm good, my resume is good, God, God will accept me because of the fact that I'm, I'm a good person, I try to do good things. The Bible doesn't call that good, the Bible calls that proud. Good people are proud people. Because the reality is, God does not favor the good and scatter the bad. It says that God gathers the scattered. That God scatters the good who think they have their lives all together and don't need him. It's said this way as Mary continues on. He has brought down rulers from their thrones but has lifted up the humble. And another way this can be translated is he has lifted up those on the bottom. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. There's, there's layers to this, but what this is really talking about isn't just the material poor. This is talking about the spiritually poor. This isn't just about lack of resources. Poverty at its heart is about lack of relationship. Are you rich? Or poor this morning? Am I? Where, where do we all start? Poor. If you don't have Jesus, it doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how much health you have. It doesn't matter how educated you are. It doesn't matter how much stuff you have. It doesn't matter what appears under your Christmas tree in a couple weeks. It doesn't matter how much is in your retirement account. It doesn't matter what kind of career you have. If you don't have Jesus, you are poor. In fact, in the Gospel of Matthew, and it will say this in Luke chapter 6 when we get there, but I think this is more familiar to a number of you. This is from the Beatitudes, the blessings that Jesus was teaching early on in his ministry, but he says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven I will I will never forget this this changed my life forever but some years ago you sent me to Bolivia with some folks here from from our church family to visit at the time one of our missionary families down there and to 
be able to take some, some resources to them to be able to, to contribute there. And I'll never forget at the end of the trip, we went to the home of one of our hosts. And please understand, Bolivia is the poorest country in South America, hands down. Poverty everywhere. We go to this family's home, and they put on this feast for us. I mean, the food was so good, and man, was there a lot of it. And understand, they've known us about five, six days. But they didn't just offer us food. They offered us relationship. I mean, we laughed. We enjoyed one another. We, our host's family didn't speak a lot of English, but we knew enough English and enough hybrid Spanish that we could kind of understand. And I mean, it was, it was something I haven't experienced before, but it was what happened afterwards that changed me. Because I found out that our host, in hosting us, gave up most of their food for that week in order to host our group. The kids would be fed the rest of the week, but the adults would go down to a very small meal, one meal a day, so that we could be blessed as their guests. And I have never looked at my life or all that materially God has blessed me just by living in the culture we live in the same way. Because by our standards, we would say they're poor. But I would submit to you, they were some of the richest people I have ever met. Because Jesus made them rich. And I wanted what they had. And the reality is, if you have Jesus, you do have what they had. You are rich. And when it says he has mercy on those who will humble themselves and fear him, fear is just another way of saying obey. Those who will trust and obey him. So if that's the reality, if you have Jesus and he truly makes you rich in the way that truly matters. Do you believe that? Does your life reflect that? Or to put it another way, which Mary are you like? Because this is a story about a Mary, and some of you may have heard this before, but this was a headline, and this is what the headline read about this story. It said, woman in rags, surrounded by garbage, is revealed to be a multimillionaire. Quote, so read the headline in the San Francisco, San Francisco Chronicle concerning a lady known as Garbage Mary, who was picked up in a shopping mall in Delray, Florida. She appeared to be just another derelict whose mind had faded. Neighbors told stories of her scrounging through garbage cans for food, which she then hoarded in her car and in her two-room apartment. There were mounds of garbage all over the apartment, stuffed in the refrigerator, the stove, the sink, the cabinets, even the bathtub. There were paths through the garbage. And other than in the kitchen, there were no chairs to sit in because they were piled with garbage. Police finally identified her as the daughter of a well-to-do lawyer and bank director from Illinois who had died several years earlier. In addition to the garbage, police found mobile oil stock worth more than 
$1,000, documents indicating ownership of oil fields in Kansas, stock certificates from firms such as U.S. Steel, Uniroyal, and Squibb, and passbooks for eight large bank accounts. Garbage Mary was a multi-millionaire who lived like a derelict. Untold wealth was at her disposal, yet she scrounged through garbage rather than claim the resources that were rightfully hers. I will ask you and me again, which Mary are you like? Are you settling for garbage in your life? What the Bible calls brokenness. What the Bible calls sin. Do you and I realize we do not have to live that way anymore? At a time of year when so many of you are reasonably, necessarily spending time with family, I know from talking with you and because I come from a family, there is brokenness in your family and there's brokenness in mine. And some of you are dreading making your Christmas rounds because you will default to old clothes, as the Bible calls it, putting on patterns of relation, relating to others that are sinful and broken and you know they are and yet you still find yourself there. And, and on it goes. But you don't have to live like that if you know Jesus. You don't have to live like you're poor. Because if you have Jesus, you're rich. And what's even better than that is it's not all about me and it's not all about you. Jesus doesn't make you rich just for the sake of making you rich as if that wasn't enough. Or to put it another way, he blesses you and me so that we can bless others. Jesus makes you rich so that you can make other people rich. And that means richness of relationship, but it also means providing resources. It's how we bring and live out the kingdom of God. When Jesus, early on in his ministry, stood up in Luke chapter 4, as we'll see here in several weeks, and declared who he was and why he came, this is what he said. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. The relationally poor, the resource poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Folks, we don't do things like Advent Conspiracy and the multitude of other ministries that we have around here because we're good people. We do these things because we serve a good God who has made us rich and therefore we make other people rich. That is what motivates us. Because Christ first loved us, now we can love others. And I am so proud of you. I, I was so blessed once again to be able to serve with you at Advent Conspiracy this weekend. It was so rich to see you not just giving resources, but offering relationship. But since we're talking resources, let's, let's talk about some of your generosity. We had over 580 staff, parents, and students come from East Gresham Elementary through our doors this weekend. 180 of you volunteered your time. 
we gave away 178 food boxes. And just so you know, a number of you bought and provided those food boxes. Just in that, you gave over $4,000 just in buying food boxes. You gave 2,151 pair of socks. That was a ton of socks. In fact, we have so many, we're going to be able to save some for when we do Advent Conspiracy next year. We gave away 80 Christmas trees, and a number of you threw those trees in your trucks and took them and delivered them to people because they had no way to get them to their homes. If that wasn't enough, we donate, you donated over 210 toys. You may not know this, but many years ago, Les Schwab and KGW heard about what we do with Advent Conspiracy and through just some things coming together, they agreed to give us all their leftover toys every year. So every year, we get all the toys from that toy drive and we put them up in our rafters here and we save them for Advent Conspiracy each year, and then you supplement those toys. We gave 450 toys away yesterday, and if that wasn't cool enough, those toys not only went out the door to kids who will have nothing other than what was given to them through you this Christmas. We have an ongoing ministry here called Foster Parents Night Out, where on a monthly basis, we give respite to the parents of foster kids. They drop their kids off here for the day. We show them a good time. They, they're in a safe environment. And the parents can go away to sleep or to go out on a date or just to collapse. And then they come back. We were able to extend those toys to our foster parent community. And foster kids walked out of here with toys yesterday. And that night we did dinner, a wonderful dinner. There were people here 12, 14 hours on Friday preparing and serving that dinner. Crafts, prizes, photos. We had a room full of clothes that you donated down there. That's huge. And that's what rich people do. They enrich the lives of others because of what Jesus has done for us. And it's not just in resources, it's in relationship. And if that is compelling to you, if that is meaningful to you, something that's important for you to understand is we have another ongoing ministry here at Grace called Partners of Hope where we reach into the community and folks who don't have enough resources enter into some equipping that we're able to do with them to help them better manage their resources. But we also provide resources. But the most important thing we do in that process is we provide relationship. We have folks called allies who come alongside these families and individuals and they pray with them. They offer them friendship, support, accountability. We now are at the point where we have more people who are looking for help than we have allies to resource them with. We need nine allies who would be willing to come alongside a family and do what we did this weekend, but to do it for the next several months. And if you're interested in that, write it on your communication card and we'll get a hold of you because we celebrate a God who always keeps his promises. You'll hear this in the second Christmas carol that was written and then sung. When Zechariah's song next week, when Sean brings that to us, because God promised to send his Messiah for thousands of years, and he did. And now 2,000 years later, we wait for the Messiah to come back, for Jesus to come back, and he will. So what do we do while we wait? Come back next week, and Sean will help us see that. I gotta give you a reason to come back. But while we wait, we bring the kingdom with us. We bring the kingdom of God. Where there is brokenness, we fix it. Where there's lack of resources, we fix it. Because that's what Jesus has done for us. And so- 
Thank you for listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.